Please stand for the reading of the Gospel. We read from Mark's Gospel, chapter 13, beginning at verse 5. Jesus began by telling them, Be careful that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and will deceive many. Whenever you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be troubled. Such things must happen, but the end is not yet. In fact, a nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. But be on your guard. People will hand you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues. You will stand in the presence of rulers and kings for my sake as a witness to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever they arrest you and hand you over, do not worry beforehand what you should say. Say whatever is given to you in that hour, because you will not be the one speaking. Instead, it will be the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rise up against their parents and put them to death. You will be hated by everyone because of my name, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. This is the gospel of our Lord. We pray. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Dear fellow redeemed friends in Christ Jesus, who endured to the end, to the point of death for our salvation. Standing firm in the word and facing the consequences for it has a long and storied history. In fact, most of the the very well-known Bible stories that we we learn even in Sunday school are, are about just that, standing firm and facing the consequences. You think of Elijah standing firm against the prophets of Baal and against the threats of uh, Ahab and Jezebel. You think of the story we just read, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego choosing to be roasted rather than bending the knee to Nebuchadnezzar's idol. You think of Daniel choosing to face the, the yawning mouths of lions rather than pray to King Darius. You fast forward to the New Testament and And you have Stephen standing firm and confessing before the Sanhedrin that Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah and then being taken out and stoned for it. Irony of ironies, you think of Paul, who happened to be one of those men who is standing there approving of Stephen's death after his conversion, being put on trial himself several times in front of officials and emperors and eventually losing his life for his testimony about Christ. And this theme of of standing firm and facing the consequences, it it even transcends Bible history. Fast forward 1,500 years after Paul, and we hear another man making his confession, standing firm on God's Word. This time not in Hebrew or Aramaic or Greek, but in German. Ich hier stehe, ich kann nicht anders, Gott helfe mir. Those were Luther's words in 1521 at the Diet of Worms when the emperor himself, the Holy Roman Emperor Charles V, commanded that he deny his own writings and recant the three core truths of the gospel, that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, based on scripture alone. And Luther said, for those of you who don't speak German, here I stand, I can do no other. 
God help me. I think we kind of take some of those stories for granted, right? We just kind of think, well, that's what Christians do. They stand firm on the Word of God. But it really is remarkable contrast to the world we live in today, right? Where, where it's become totally acceptable for a person to totally flip-flop on their very strongly held, supposedly strongly held principles and take the opposite direction. I, I think we can all think of famous figures who have totally flip-flop positions, who have evolved in their thinking on certain issues. I would bring them up here, but I don't need to go off on a rant, and I would probably get myself in trouble. But Maybe we don't even have to go outside of these walls or outside of the church to think of people who have backtracked on formerly, firmly held principles. You and I all know people who have stood in front of altars just like this one and sworn that they would face anything, even death, rather than give up the Word of God. And we know many people who have denied the faith, have abandoned the means of grace, and have given up their salvation. They have retracted, they have denied their living Savior. We all know those people. But for all for as many people as have denied the faith, there are still thousands and thousands of Christians throughout the world who are standing firm on it. And the question for us is, is that going to be us? Are we going to stand firm in the face of pressure when the heat is on us? Or are we going to turn tail, flip-flop, and deny our Savior? How, how can we know that we will stand firm? Well, there are two things that will help. First is, being aware of what direction the threats will come from. If you're aware of where the danger is, you can be on the lookout for it. And then you also need to have a firm foundation to stand on. And and Jesus gives us both of those things in our text for this morning. Our text brings us to Tuesday of Holy Week. I always like preaching on Tuesday of Holy Week because I compare it to uh, Media Day before the Super Bowl. Jesus is holding court in the temple area and they're coming at him with questions and comments and criticizing him, trying to trap him. It's kind of like media day during Super Bowl week. It's just days, though, before Jesus will be tortured and crucified. And yet, what is his concern? There's days before he dies. What's his concern? It's for his disciples, whom he knows will also be put on trial, will also be persecuted and tortured and killed for the gospel. And so out of his compassion for them, he warns them about what will happen when he is gone. He says, be careful that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name saying, I am he and will deceive many. I think most people, I think even your average Christian thinks of detecting false prophets and false teachings as something that you can only do if you're a really smart Christian. Maybe if you're a pastor, a trained theologian, if you've read lots of books. But it's really not that complicated at all. Both the Old and the New Testament tell us, simplify for us, this is what false prophets are going to do. Watch out for it. They will either add to or subtract from or distort Scripture in some way. If you have a Bible, if you read your Bible, you can detect False teachings. And what Jesus is saying here is that there will always be false teachers. They will always be around. They were around in Jesus' day, 
in the form of the Sadducees and the Pharisees who piled their own man-made laws on top of God's law and told the people that it is by their works that they will be saved. There were false prophets in Martin Luther's day in the form of the Roman Catholic Church, which sold pieces of paper called indulgences that supposedly offered people freedom from purgatory, that it was through this indulgence, this piece of paper you paid for, that you could be saved. They also layered their own rituals on top of the gospel of Christ, and they too were telling people you can be saved by your works. We have false prophets all around us today in churches and pastors that preach anything other than the gospel of Christ crucified for sinners, in churches that focus more on a social gospel, that the good news is that we as a church can make this world a better place, on the prosperity gospel that teaches that if you just dedicate yourself to Jesus, you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and happy all life long. In churches who have bended the knee to the pressures of immoral worldly movements that support things that are clearly contrary to God's word, those churches where you see rainbow flags flying in front of them. In churches that have given up the exclusivity of Christianity, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And have opened the door to saying, well, all religions really lead to the same place. And that one, I'm not just making up. Many of you may have received that flyer, that mailing from Bethel, Lutheran Church in downtown Madison, supposedly Lutheran, E-L-C-A. And in it, it said, all are welcome here, Jews and Muslims and atheists and agnostics. Yes, everyone is welcome here, welcome to be converted. But not all routes lead to heaven. There is one and his name is Christ. So we stand firm on God's word against those threats. On words like the Apostle Paul's in his letter to the Galatians, even if we or an angel from heaven would preach any gospel other than the one we preach to you, a curse on him. Those are the signs of the end in the church. There will also be signs of the end, signs to look out for, signs that will place pressure on our faith in society and in nature, Jesus says, Whenever you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be troubled. Such things must happen, but the end is not yet. In fact, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. I think Jesus could probably be reading from that ticker that scrolls on the bottom of the nightly news, right, about all the things that are happening in our world today. Sure, America's longest-running war in Afghanistan is now supposedly over. But we certainly see a lot of wars taking place right here on our own soil, don't we? You see school boards aligned against parents. Um, more and more right here in the Madison area, we've felt the impact of, of drug wars and gang wars that primarily used to be only in the big cities like Milwaukee and Chicago and Minneapolis. You have pro-life groups against pro-abortion groups. You have the supposedly uh, rights of LGBTQ individuals against the enshrined constitutional rights of freedom freedom of speech and freedom of religion. There are certainly plenty of kingdoms against kingdoms and wars going on right here in our own country. We don't have to even think about China or Russia or Iran. 
This, these wars are right outside our doors. Earthquakes and famines. I haven't heard of any recent earthquakes, but famines? I know this may seem like a first world problem, but I don't know about you, I don't grow my own food. Is there any practical difference between a, a farmer not being able to grow anything in his field or the, the shelves at our grocery stores being empty? Both of them are famines in the truest sense of the word, meaning that there is no available food. These things have certainly happened. And you know what the danger is? The danger is for us to think God has really abandoned us. He's abandoned this world. He's not carefully caring for it anymore because even Christians are getting caught up in these wars. Even Christians are being affected by these natural disasters. We have to stand on the Word of God when those threats come because the devil will twist them. He will attack our faith. We stand on the Word of God that says, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. And then it gets really personal. Then Jesus says they're going to come after you individually, either publicly or privately, to persecute and prosecute you. People will hand you over to the councils and you will be beaten in synagogues. You will stand in the presence of rulers and kings for my sake as a witness to them. Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rise up against their parents and put them to death. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego faced that. They stood before kings. Martin Luther did. St. Paul did. Still to this day, Christians are facing active persecution all around the world. And so Jesus says, be on your guard. Now what does that mean? How can we be on our guard against authorities that will persecute us for our beliefs, for merely confessing the name of Christ? How can we be on our guard? Remember, Jesus was speaking these words originally to Peter, James, John, and Andrew just days before his death. Did he tell them, you're going to have to arm yourselves to the teeth because they're going to be coming after you? Did he tell them, you've got to go running off into the hills so they can't find you? Did he tell them, lock yourselves in your homes because they won't be able to get to you there? He didn't say those things. Yes, on Monday, Thursday, he did tell his disciples to grab a sword, but when it came down to it, he told Peter to put it in its sheath, not to use it. He didn't tell his disciples to go running into the hills or to hide. He told them, take my gospel to the corners of the earth. Now, they were to be on guard. They were, what they were to do was to hold in their hearts the gospel message that he had taught them for three years. They were to hold in their hearts the things that they would witness over the next few days that Jesus would do what He said He came to do. He would suffer and He would die for the sins of the world. They were to hold on to that, to guard that in their hearts so that no one could take it from them and so that they could pass it on to future generations like us. So it is too with us. As we face the prospect of persecution and prosecution, I don't know where that's going to come from. It might happen in your own home. It might happen at your workplace. It might happen in a classroom for our children. It may happen that someday our church is sued or your pastor is taken away and accused of some sort of hate crime against a protected group. I don't know how it's going to happen, but the same is true for us. We are to be on guard, not not by stocking up on ammunition, not by running away from the danger, not by locking ourselves in our homes or our churches, but 
but by holding the truths of the gospel close to our hearts. By, by thinking of our baptism, returning to our baptism each and every day. I was reading about a, a kind of an interesting ritual, you could call it, related to, related to baptism that keeps it on your mind front and center. Maybe it's something you would want to try, and it's not Catholic, I promise. When you wake up in the morning, and you go into the bathroom, and you're looking at yourself in the mirror, the very first thing you do, before you, before you think about, oh, I've got to be a, a mother or a father, before you think about what you have to be that day, an employee or employer, cross yourself. Remind yourself, I am a baptized child of God. That's what you are first and foremost before anything else in this world. Before you are a mother or father or you have to go to work. You are a baptized child of God. Keep that close to your heart. Return here to this altar to receive your Savior's body and blood regularly to strengthen your faith. Dig into the Scriptures yourself to become ever more deeply rooted in them. That is how we are on guard against persecution and prosecution. And you might think, that's it? This is all God has given us to guard ourselves against the tremendous threats out there? They have much larger weapons. They seem much more powerful. This seems so weak. A Bible, maybe a catechism, that's all we have? Remember this. Remember that the Word of God is the most powerful thing in this world. There are many examples from Scripture, but I'm going to use one from Jesus right here. Right in the midst of all Jesus' warnings, remember what he said? He said, the gospel must be preached to every nation. Can you imagine how ridiculous that had to sound as the disciples remembered him saying that on Saturday when Jesus was laying dead in the grave? Imagine how ridiculous that had to sound when the, the center, the, the leader, the, the king of Christianity is dead. And yet he kept that promise, didn't he? For 2,000 years now, the, the Christian church has stood firm against the gates of hell itself. For 500 years, the, over 500 years, the Lutheran church has stood firm against heresy and proclaimed the pure gospel. For 171 years, our own Wisconsin Synod has been preaching the pure gospel here in America and throughout the world for 22 years. I believe it's some of you founding members. 22 years the gospel has been preached from this pulpit and the sacraments administered from this altar and this font right here at Risen Savior. Jesus has kept his promise, a powerful promise, his word is the most powerful thing in the world and you can stand firm on it. And that's what explains how bold and courageous men like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Martin Luther were. It wasn't really them. There's a little-known fact about uh, Luther's time at that diet of worms when he was placed on the spot and, and told, you must recant or your life is going to be in danger. These weren't his first words. He was shell-shocked the first day when he was told what he must do. Make a decision between his, his life and health or his Savior. And, and so the first thing he said was, I need some time. Now that doesn't exactly seem like the bold, strong, fearless reformer that we always think of, does it? 
It wasn't about Luther, and it wasn't about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It was about God keeping his promise. And he will keep that promise to us as well. That promise that wherever you're placed on the spot, whether it's with your family this Thanksgiving or Christmas, whether it's with your employer who says you can't hold to these views, you can't post that kind of stuff on social media, whether it is before the governing authorities who will strip us of our right to worship in freedom, here is your Lord's promise to you. Whenever they arrest you and hand you over, do not, be, do not worry beforehand what you should say. Say whatever is given to you in that hour, because you will not be the one speaking. Instead, it will be the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will work through you, and he will keep you rooted in the promises of God. That is the foundation on which we stand. And there are two final promises that I think we can plant our feet firmly on today. It's Jesus' final words. I think Jesus' final words here may have been ringing in Martin Luther's head as he was writing the hymn we just sang, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Jesus says this. He says, You will be hated by everyone because of my name, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And and Luther wrote, we just sang, And do what they will, hate, steal, hurt, or kill, though all may be gone, our victory is won, the kingdom's ours forever. These are two things you can take to the bank. Everyone hates you. Everyone hates Christians. Everyone else hates us who stand for Christ's name. But our Lord loves us. We stand firm. Because Jesus says, whoever endures to the end will be saved. Now I know that sounds like, well, what if I don't stand firm? What if I waver? What if I deny my Savior? What if the pressure gets to be too much and I can't bear it? Well, that's not what enduring is about. Enduring is not about being bold. He looks so bold in all the depictions, the pictures, the statues of him. If you read what he actually wrote, he was a quivering mess a lot of the time. He, He worried whether he was right or not. He didn't know if he would have the strength to stand up against the most powerful institution on earth. But he endured. He endured by clinging to those three truths of the gospel. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. When you hold on to those and nothing but that, that's how you endure to the end. And that's through that faith your Lord will save you. We'll close with one last word, a Greek word. Tetelestai. It is finished. If you only had that word, that would be enough. That word would allow you to stand firm because that word of our Savior from His cross means that your salvation is finished. It means that you are, you have already been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, based on Scripture alone. That's where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood. That's where Martin Luther stood. That's where we stand. God help us. Amen.